The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio, Cincinnati Reds podcast, episode number 190. Wow, 190 podcasts. Uh, again with me on this episode, a guy that's been on a bunch of these, and I hope will be on a bunch more in the coming weeks and months and years. My friend and yours, Jason Linden. How are you today, Jason? I'm well, but frankly disturbed that you ever thought to do this without me. Oh, I, I wish I hadn't mentioned that because I was just going to assume that you don't listen to it, so you would, ne- well, you would never know. You just think you were on every episode. I mean, I am the center of my own universe. <laughs> of course. Of course you are. And uh, you're the center. Actually, you're not the center of my universe. The center of my universe, as everyone well knows, is Adam Dunn. You like Adam Dunn, Jason? I like Adam Dunn. Adam I like Dun- to tease you about Adam Dunn, but I do like Adam Dunn. Yes, yes. Well, you know, Adam Dunn uh, was announced this week. He was the next inductee into the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame. Top vote getter selected by fans, uh, Reds alumni, and then some members of the media on what they called the modern player ballot. Now, we'd sort of gone all in a little bit, or I'd gone all in for Reggie Sanders, because I thought it was he's, Reggie Sanders had been sort of a longtime snub, a guy that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And, of yeah. course, Reggie was a, a guest on this podcast. Um, but I could not be happier. I hope Reggie gets in next time. Could not be happier that Adam Dunn was selected. Because this is a guy that took a lot of criticism while he was in Cincinnati. So to see him get in the first time he's on the ballot, um, certainly well-deserved. Congratulations, Adam Dunn. Yeah, totally, uh, totally concur. You know, I was with you on Sanders. We, I think we talked about it on another podcast, but um, Adam Dunn no doubt deserves to be in, and it's great that he's in, and it's fun, and he was fun, and fun is good, and that's the end of my Dr. Seuss book, but yay, Adam Dunn. <laughs> yeah, you know, he was the first one. We have a, a, a category. We have a bunch of different categories at redlegnation.com, and one of those we called Defending Adam Dunn because we felt like we had to defend him from the onslaught of criticism that he got because of the things he did not do well. And there were things he did not do well. He struck out a lot, if that bothers you, and it bothers a lot of people. He uh, did not play particularly good defense, uh, and that's sort of being kind, describing it that way. That, that's the one that bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> when I have the energy to talk about whether or not Adam Dunn was like, or to try to defend Adam Dunn, it's the defense. Where I'm like, yeah, but the defense. But, yeah. but whatever. I mean, you know... He hit a bunch of home runs. He made the Reds watchable often at times when they were otherwise unwatchable. Um, you know, he, and there's so much value in those guys who who allow it, allow a person to follow a bad team because they are so interesting to watch play. And Adam Dunn was definitely one of those guys in his peak. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and you're right in terms of being one of the few things to watch on some miserable miserable teams. Uh, but uh, you know, I think of an alternate universe with Adam Dunn. You know, he was a left fielder, stuck in left field, and was just not good. But I think of an alternate universe where the Reds don't have Sean Casey, um, and then Scott Hatterberg, and then Joey Votto, and maybe Adam Dunn can play first base. And you know, maybe that uh, mitigates the the poor defense a little bit. Maybe he becomes a decent 
first baseman. I mean, he, he was athletic. He was a you know, he played well, quarterback yeah, I mean, at Texas. And the weird thing about Adam Dunn is that for his first, like, I don't know, three or four years or something, he actually wasn't really that bad in the outfield. I mean, he wasn't like, wow, he's brilliant, but he was perfectly serviceable. You didn't look at him and think, boy, he really can't play out there. All right. And, you know, he even stole some bases a little bit at the beginning. Um, And then I guess he just kind of lost his legs or whatever, but oh boy. People talk about him being one of the three true outcome guys, you know, home run, walk, or strikeout. And it's true, but at the end of his career, well, for a lot of his career he was, but you're right. That's not the way he started his career. He was athletic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he really was. I mean, he was was recruited by Notre Dame to play football, I mean, uh, as quarterback. I mean, you know. Does that is that a thing that people Notre Dame that rings a bell? Are they good at something? They used to be. I don't well, know if they are anymore. They're not Virginia football. Let me just tell you that. Well, who is Kay? exactly? Who is? Um, so he did he did sort of morph, but even after he morphed into the three true outcome guys, you know, we're talking about a guy that's number four on the Reds all time list in home runs, third all time in slugging percentage. Um, he had four consecutive seasons of forty or more home runs led or tied for the lead in home runs on the Reds for seven consecutive seasons. And my favorite little stat is that uh, Dunn uh, ranks eighth on the Reds' all-time franchise list for on-base percentage. Eighth, which is great. Who's ninth, Jason? Do you know who's ninth after Dunn uh, on the all-time on-base percentage list? Um, Reds history? Pete Rose. Pete Rose. Wow, I was guessing on that, too, but for me. <laughs> Adam Dunn's on-base percentage was 380 for the Reds, which is fantastic. Pete Rose, 379. That's the hit king, Jason, the hit king, you know. I know. He was the king of hits or something. He was the king of something. We're not going to talk about Pete Rose. Um, uh, my favorite, Mike, can I share my favorite Adam Dunn stat? Okay, sure. Okay. My favorite Adam Dunn stat is, and it, it entirely comes, I brought this up a couple times. Several years ago, I wrote a column that was basically like, the purpose of it was which player might do something historic this year, like is going to pass some other player or is on pace to do whatever. The year that Joey Votto didn't break the doubles record because his knee got hurt, I was writing that column. And Adam Dunn used to feature prominently in it because Adam Dunn, Chad, Adam Dunn was a little more than one full season away from breaking the all-time strikeout record. Oh, man, that would have been exciting. I'm sure his critics would have had a field day with that one. Well, but here they would have. But here, I'll lead you. I'll re, I'm going to read you the list of the top ten strikeout players in Major League history. Okay, exactly. This is going to be great. All right, uh, we'll start at number ten because that's fun. Mike Schmidt. He was okay. He was all right. Yeah. yeah. Mike Cameron. Mike Cameron, good career. Willie Stargell. The pops. Yeah. Uh, Jose Canseco. Oh. Oh. Andre Scalaraga. Andre Scalaraga, another good player. Alex Rodriguez was all right. Hey, they, they used to call him A-Rod. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, I did. It was A-Rod. Uh, Sammy Sosa. Oh, Sammy Sosa. Yeah. He had a good career. Um, Adam Dunn comes in at number three. Oh, Dunner. With 2,379 strikeouts. That's a lot of strikeouts. Ahead of him is Jim Tomey. Did he have a good career? He had a pretty good career. Before, before you go to number one, though, i got to tell you. Eight strikeouts. Well, that's a lot of strikeouts, but I think you mispronounced his name. I think it's actually Jim Thome. Oh, you're right. It yeah, is Thome. Thought so. right. <laughs> and then number one, which I think everybody knows, is Reggie Jackson at 2597. Uh, Tommy was that he? I, I was rooting for him to break the record too, and and he and Dunn both retired just shy. But like, 
that's those are all good players. I mean, there there may be some um, questionable personalities on that list, but <laughs> those are all really good baseball players. So you don't get into the top ten in Major League history and strikeouts uh, without being able to do a lot of other things really well. Well, you you got to play long enough, and you can't play long enough if you're striking out that much if you don't do a lot of other things well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that Reggie Jackson, they called him Mr. October. Do you know that, Jason? I did. I think he was good in October, um, and I think it was for, like, what, the Marlins is who he played for, right? I think the the Miami Marlins. They were known as the Florida Marlins at that time, I think. I'm right. pretty sure. Yes, right, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but Adam Dunn struck out a lot, and it caused so many uh, mouth-breathing call in, callers in to uh, talk radio to just have an aneurysm. I guess it's good the way the game has developed that uh, I don't really care. I just Strikeouts don't bother me. It is, it's an out. I mean, I guess it looks uglier than other outs, but whatever. It, it doesn't yeah. bother me. The home runs and, yeah. uh, you know, just uh, the fact that he had such a good strike, uh, knowledge of the strike zone and just – and he was fun, just a fun guy to watch. Agree completely. Strikeouts don't bother me at all on a player level. Um, and on an aesthetic level, I'd, I'd rather the ball in play more than it is in the, in the modern game. But in terms of, like, assessing a player, yeah, no, I don't care. Well, you know, in some ways, if you get put the ball in play, it's a more fun game to watch. But right, I don't know. I just but winning is the most fun. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Wait a minute. It's like better than losing. Well, I, I, I'm I'm confused. You're a fan of the Cincinnati Reds. How yeah. do you How do you know winning's better than losing? How How would you ever know? They've been good before, Chad. Really? It's when? Been, it's only been a few years. Oh my gosh! It's been like 38 years. I'm I'm pretty sure exactly 38 years since they had a winning record. Yeah, you're probably right. It seems like it. Just like the year before I was born. So. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. You're, you know, three years old. It's back when they were called the the Big Move Machine, as I believe. Something like that. Yeah. Yes, yes, I think so. So, Adam Dunn, congratulations. And I tell you what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and uh, talk about my favorite Adam Dunn moment, probably. Uh, we did add a, add a chapter about Adam Dunn into our book that's coming out uh, in April. Um about the time he hit the walk-off Grand Slam to beat the Indians when they were, had been down 7 to nothing, But my favorite moment is when Adam Dunn uh, called uh, the banana phone to talk to Marty Brenneman during a rain delay. <laughs> you remember that? That was a special moment. It was a special moment, definitely. Adam in Milwaukee. Uh, do you like Scott Hedeberg? Um, or do you think Scott Hedeberg is a good player? I'll tell you what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to – we're going to pause here, and I'm going to – we're going to play that clip. Adam Dunn calling Marty Brenneman on the banana phone. Uh, we now will go uh, to a good friend of ours from Milwaukee who is standing by on the phone. Hello. Hello. Hello, Marty. Yes. Marty. Yes. Marty, this is Adam. Marty. Yes. This is Adam from Milwaukee. Hey, Adam, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Do you think Scott Hatterberg is a good player? Yeah. Hello, Marty. Marty. Yes, Adam from Milwaukee. Do you think Scott Hatterberg is a good player? Do you think he's a good player? I think he's overrated. Uh, who would you rather see play at first base? I can tell you're a big fan. I am. Um. Maybe uh, Luke Stowe. That would you think that'd be an improvement? I think so. He's a little young. Defensively. 
He's a little bit young, isn't he, Adam? Uh, no. <laughs> Is it still raining in Cincinnati? It's just about stopped, Adam. Do you have your shirt on? Uh, last I checked, I did, yes. Why? Just curious. Uh, listen, I'm going to let you go now because I know that you're going to get your game face on because we're getting ready to go back on the radio shortly, and you'll be listening to every word. I love it. Have a good one, bro. Thanks, Adam. Nice talking with you. All right. Adam from Milwaukee. Yeah. That was Adam Dunn. Adam in Milwaukee. Jason, you like Adam in Milwaukee? I. Who doesn't like Adam in Milwaukee? Exactly. Now let's move on to the rest. Uh, the current team. Adam Dunn does not play for the Reds anymore, sure. and uh, someone else that doesn't play for the Reds as well. Thought we'd just mention it briefly. The guy, and, and most years this would be you'd think this is crazy. The the pitcher who led the 2017 Reds in innings pitched signed a deal today to pitch in Korea next year, and uh, you would think that would be a bad thing in, under most circumstances. And I'm not saying it's good that Tim Adelman is no longer a Red, but Eh, Tim Adelman's no longer a red. So, uh, any thoughts? Uh, about- I think it's good for Tim Adelman. Um, you know, he's gonna he he is was whatever a four A 4A player. I mean, you know, I think we all know that he was a contributor. Nobody is gonna complain about Tim Adelman. Um, but I think he knew as well as everybody did that he wasn't really a part of the plan and the rotation this year. Um, and, you know, frankly, if, if we want to be encouraged by anything, we can be encouraged by the fact that ownership apparently let him go. Um, you know, so that means they're thinking we're not going to need Tim Adelman this year, um, which could not be said in, in years past. Um, but, no, I think Adelman will go uh, and play in Korea and probably be one of the better pitchers on whatever t- on, on his team. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, everything I've ever heard of him is that he's a, a nice guy and, you know, wish him the best and all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, they needed him this year to the tune of, a, yeah. you know, 120-some innings that led the team. You know, I think it's the only way to look at it is good for you, Tim Adelman. I mean, he's going he's gonna to bank a cool million, a little over a million as a 30-year-old when if he stays in America, there's no guarantee that he's even going to be in the major leagues. So he's making a little money uh, for his, you know, his future, and, and it's a it, Great story. Like, like you said, he's considered to be a nice guy. Everybody likes him. But there's the story that he was actually cut by the Florence Freedom Independent League team and fought, yeah. fought his way all the way back to the major leagues. Just you know, easy to root for a guy like that. Uh, I don't think the Reds will miss him. But uh, just in terms of personalities, he was a good guy to have around and very easy to root for and uh, and happy that he's you know, going to make a little bit of money. Yeah, yeah. I just completely agree with everything you just said. For the first time ever. Man, it finally happened. Happens. Don't don't count on it ever happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, now let's move on to uh, some some other topics uh, around the uh, Cincinnati Reds and the upcoming season because we're already looking forward to 2018. And we've been doing a, a little feature at RedLegNation.com most days that we've called the Daily Reds Obsession. Obsession. And uh, Jason, you've contributed. Uh, I've contributed. It's just a fun little way to talk about some things happening with the Reds during the off season when there's not a whole lot of actual news. Now, today's question, our, our daily Reds obsession, was this. What's the best case scenario for Homer Bailey? And what's the worst case scenario for Homer Bailey in 2018? Uh, you want me to go first or do you want to jump right in? I'll jump right in. 
I thought you might. Um, I, th- I mean, I think that the best and worst case, everybody's best and worst case scenarios are the same, really. It's he's healthy and pitches well, or he's not and pitches not at all, um, or briefly and poorly. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But um, I, I, you know, this has been the case with Homer, I think, since the injury issues start, which is that people have seen those flashes of brilliance from him and it gets to be, you know, rose colored glasses and that's kind of all they can see. So, you know, today I think in the, in the thing, some of the other guys who commented and and some of the commenters were, it seemed to me the tone was very much more. I feel like he's definitely going to be, you know, a real solid starter, like a number three starter, maybe even better if we're lucky. And man, I go and look at his game log and I just, I don't know about that. I think number three starter is probably realistically his absolute ceiling. And I think he's probably more likely a four or five guy. Well, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I I think the best case scenario, I do think, and and I based it on what I saw from him as well. He was certainly had a, he struggled coming back from that Tommy John surgery and, uh, you know, some really bad starts, but I saw lots of flashes of a guy that, that not, maybe not the Homer Bailey we used to have, but a pretty good one, and, and I think you know the best case. And maybe we're saying the same thing. I think he could be a three-plus win player. Um, oh, as, I don't. As a best case scenario, no, I don't think I don't think it's likely to happen. Let me go ahead and add that qualifier quickly. I think the absolute best case he could get back to that. Now, that's like ninety-fifth percentile at least, though. I think. Well, maybe, maybe. I mean, we could argue about whether it's eightieth uh, or ninety-fifth, but it's not likely to happen. Um, yeah. I, certainly, but I, I think there's. I, I'm not willing to say I guarantee it won't happen. I guess is is what I'm saying. I, I wouldn't bet the ranch on that. Worst case, obviously, you know, as you're saying, basically, yeah, more injuries. You know, it, we never see Comer Bailey again, um, and that's that's actually probably more realistic than the best case because he's been so hurt lately. I think probably if I had to bet the ranch, if I had to pick what I think Homer Bailey is going to be in 2018 and 2019, if I had to bet what he's going to be, I, I would say he's going to be a pretty effective number four starter. Yeah, maybe number five, but, you know, a back-end starter, a pretty effective one. If we back, Back-end starter, I think, is about right. And I think, you know, one of the things for me that, or I guess a couple of things that pop out, is that though I guess it got better than it was when he initially came back, the control was never really great. Um, he never seemed to me to really get a consistent handle on the walks. And then the strikeouts, they were there kind of at something approximating historic Homer Bailey rates, but the league is striking out a lot more than it used to. So average is different than what it was before um, in terms of, of how many strikeouts you have as a pitcher. So, you know, in this in the league that he was last effective in three or so years ago, I think his numbers are a lot better, look a lot better to me than they do in the league that I, that he pitched in last year, I guess, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just, I don't know if he's got the stuff to be more than a back end starter. Maybe not, maybe not. But, you know, I could also see if he stays healthy, I could see him being a guy that makes 30 or more starts and pitches, you know, 180 innings or something. I mean, I, I could, I don't have to squint too hard to see that. Now how effective no, he'll I, be in those innings. I don't know, but yeah. no, I completely agree with that. I think if he's, you know, the history with Tommy John surgery is is basically that if a player comes back and really comes back, you know, you'll get several seasons at least of normal major league performance because that ligament's been replaced and that was the problem. 
and I mean normal major perf- league performance in terms of like endurance. Um, and you know, but and so yeah, I mean, I can easily see him pitching 180, even 200 innings this you know next year as long as he's actually healthy. I just think he's going to be a number four or five starter instead of a number one, two starter, which is what everybody hoped he would be. But if, I, I feel like if we could get 180, 190 innings of Homer Bailey as a number four starter, man, I think that's a huge win. And I, yeah, that, I, sign me up for that right now. Problems. It solves a lot of problems. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, and that's all the Reds really need him to be. He doesn't have to be the you know number two guy. Yeah, um, I mean, it'd be great if he were, but uh, again, don't bet the ranch on that. So. And I don't think we're too far apart. I think that the, I think the possibility that he's a number three starter, I think is a little bit higher possibility than you think there is. Um, I just I saw a lot of things that gave me some optimism, um, but you're always pessimistic about everything, Jason. So, the world is darkness, Chad. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. Um, I just sang there, Jason. I I saw. <laughs> now I, this is this is a little unfair to you, but. I'm going to uh, – tomorrow's post, which will be up uh, on the site maybe shortly after you uh, have downloaded this podcast. Most of you will not have listened to the podcast yet, probably by the time it posts at redlegnation.com. So it will be there. Go look at it. And you didn't participate, I don't think, this week in uh, the Daily Reds Obsession. But tomorrow's question is the same thing except about uh, Anthony DiScalfani. What's the best-case scenario and what's the worst-case scenario? Uh, I'll Ooh. go ahead. What's that? That's more interesting extremely interesting yes that's and there's a lot wider range of a sort of uh, of possible outcomes with him uh, basically what i said was worst case scenario it really is not not a great question i came up with the question it's not a great one because the worst case scenario everybody obviously he stays injured doesn't yeah. pitch any just like he didn't pitch any this year exactly yeah. um uh, but you know the best case scenario to me again and maybe it's just me being overly optimistic but i think it's easy to envision the best case scenario, uh, if you try, he's going to be 27 years old. He was brilliant in 2016 before the oblique injury uh, when he got hurt. But then by the time he was healthy, he was fantastic yeah. in 2016. Uh, did not pitch, uh, certainly at the major league level, in 2017. If his elbow is healthy, and this is the biggest if we're going to have on this podcast, if his elbow is healthy, I see no reason to believe at age 27 that he can't be maybe even an ace. But certainly a number two guy. Um, I mean, and he, you know, as a 25-year-old, he threw 184 innings. It's not like he's not, you know, right. uh, done that before. If they can get 184 innings out of him this year, I think that means that he's back. And I can't imagine that if he's healthy, he's not going to be an effective pitcher. At the bare minimum, if he's healthy, he's a number three starter. And I think very, it's much more likely that he's a number two guy. And, and uh, you yeah. talk about making Reds fans happy. That would be that would help I, things tremendously. I think – I'm I'm much more in sync with you here. I think, you know, the interesting thing, I, I suppose the difference between Bailey and, and Desclafani is that with Bailey, like, all of the probability is in the middle. Like, the odds are he's going to pitch right. and probably accumulate some innings and be okay. With Desclafani, he's probably either going to be good to really good or not play at all. Like... There's not really a middle ground, I don't think, in in his circumstance. I think you're right. I think he's either a two three starter or he doesn't pitch. And I think I think realistically, maybe 150 innings, just because it's been a while, is, is right. sort of the maximum threshold. But a good 150 innings. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about health. If he's healthy, there's just no reason to believe he's not going to be effective. Yeah, he, he's always been effective. Yeah, and and you know, 27 years old, but man, that that elbow. <laughs> That scares me. 
it scares well, that's, me. It's terrifying. Gosh. And, you know, we, we we did this before last season, and we probably shouldn't do it this year, but we're going to get towards closer to April, and you and I are going to be on one of these podcasts, and we're going to look and say, oh, man, Anthony Scafani is healthy, and Luis Castillo all season long, and, you know, Homer Bailey's healthy, and uh, we're going to start thinking, oh, my. Hey, Red signed you, Darvish. <laughs> yeah, yes, or anyone, but yeah, certainly a, yeah. a, a, a top-shelf starter. We're dreaming playoffs at that point. I mean, aren't we? I'm always dreaming playoffs. That's what spring training is for, man. The problem is it's been only a dream for far too long. In July, in March, it's all about potential. Oh, but then yeah, and if if you do that, you get another starter. So that's four starters, and you're dividing up the number five starter between you know Tyler Molly and Sal Romano and Robert Stevenson and you know Cody Reed and Mir Garrett. I mean, you got yeah. a bunch of guys. Somebody will win that spot that's pitching You're already effectively. Already talking me into it, Chad. Let's do it. Let's go get you, Darvish. You're already talking me into it. All right. How, how how much do we have to put in the? We may have to contribute some money to help sign you, Darvish. I don't know. I got I got, I got like ten dollars in my wallet. Yeah, I'm in for I'm in for fifteen at least. All right. So somebody contact Bob Castellini. Bob Castellini at bobcastellini.com. I, I mean, everything I've seen says that they think it'll take 20 to 25 a year to sign him, and we've got that between the two of us, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 25, yeah. So, yeah. so, so we'll just go ahead and do it. I can't, right. I can't go in after the first year. Somebody else is going to, to pick up the slack, but we'll cover the first year. Well, yeah, we'll, fig- we'll figure it out. <laughs> no, I mean, you, Darvish, is a, a pipe dream, um, but uh, I still don't see any reason why they shouldn't. I, I know they're talking about, oh, maybe let's wait until next offseason, but I don't see any reason not to go get a real uh, a real pitcher. I think the Reds I think the Reds do something this year. I'm actually kind of starting to think I don't know. There's there's such a, a stable of young pitchers. It depends on their assessment of them. I'm sure they'll probably sign somebody, but I'm starting to wonder if they're going to focus more on maybe trying to add one more bat somewhere in the in in the lineup. Um I really am starting to be able to imagine them parting ways with Billy Hamilton. I'm not even I'm going to basically going to pretend like you didn't say that. I understand, Chad. I understand. But, I mean, I'd trade Billy Hamilton for, you know, uh, Clayton Kershaw or somebody. I mean, that, that would help Just the Reds. Different. Yeah, I'd do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, all joking aside, I think you're probably right. I'm starting to sense of that a little bit myself and probably not an awful idea. I mean, I love Billy. Everybody knows I love Billy. He's not become the Billy I hoped he would. And mm-hmm. But I see him in, a, in center field in San Francisco or in Colorado or in Seattle or one of these big parks and you you talk about maximizing his effectiveness as a player. Put him in, put him in center field in one of those big parts and let him go run and get everything. And uh, that's probably where he's best suited. Let him bat ninth and play a fun center field. Yeah, I yeah yeah. Put him in a big center field and he'll be a lot more valuable there. Now you talked about going and getting a, a pitcher, and I do want to mention we don't have to talk about it much, but I do want to mention it because the Reds uh, claimed uh, a pitcher off waivers this week, and actually it's it's a in more interesting signing than most waiver wire pickups. Although the last waiver wire pickup, the last couple uh, that I can think of uh, that really helped the Reds were Scooter Jeanette and Dan Straley, who turned into Luis Castillo. So sometimes it works, but this is a left-handed reliever, Kyle Crockett, and uh, he's 25 years old, 3.44 career ERA, a, a good-looking left-handed reliever who was uh, drafted uh, in the fourth round back in 2013 and sort of rocketed yep. his way through Cleveland's minor league system. And I think there was a numbers crunch is the way I understood it um, in Did Cleveland. Did the Indians have a lot of good pitching or something? <laughs> a little bit. And uh, he kind of got squeezed out, and he's only 25. Yeah. And uh, I no, think... like a shoe-in bullpen piece, frankly. Oh, yeah. No, I think you can pencil him in right now. Left-handed reliever. Um, mm-hmm. You know why I like him, though, and why I mentioned it, right? Do you know? I don't know if I do. All right, I'm going to tell you. Get ready. Oh, this is exciting. I'm ready. 
I'm gonna. Uh, you can you can answer this question. You'll know the answer, even though you don't actually know the answer. Okay. Do you know where uh, my guy uh, Kyle Crockett played his college baseball? Oh, was it at Georgetown or was it at St. John's? Oh, don't start this nonsense with me. Get out of you're off my podcast forever. He was part of the national championship University of Virginia Cavaliers, <laughs> along with Red's first round draft pick Nick Howard, who's not panned out quite as well. I could have guessed that, but I I didn't tell you. I know, I, I know. That's, that's the way you roll. He was uh, he had a one point nine eight ERA at UVA, just dominant. He's great. So, um, but anyway, uh, just, so you're gonna you're gonna replace the woo with the wahoo right? wah, wahoo baby, wahoo wah. Um, Boy, their basketball team's looking good this year. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> I got to do a, a Virginia basketball podcast. That'll, that'll be next year. We're not going to waste. Uh, we'll, we'll lose every listener that we had, even though we only have one listener. Hi, mom. <laughs> Hi, Chad. <laughs> All right, uh, I want to dig into a couple of other of these uh, best case, worst case scenario. But first, I want to uh, ask you another question, and uh, and I'm happy to answer it first if you want to think about it for a moment. But it's one that we answered at the site this week in our Daily Reds obsession, which is this. Which Reds player who played before you were born do you wish that you had been able to uh, watch play? And um, my answer, I'll tell you, was uh, really, you know, I wish I'd seen Joe Morgan play in a Reds uniform, but I did see him play at the very end of his career for, you know, the, the Oakland A's. Um, so I actually technically saw Joe Morgan play, so I can't say him. Um a bunch of others. Frank Robinson is a guy that I think is probably the most underrated player in the history of baseball. That's a guy, but that's an obvious pick, I thought. So I went with Yule Blackwell, the Whip Blackwell, who is such an interesting guy. I mean, that's uh, another guy that we devoted a chapter in our upcoming book to. Um, he was an all-star during every one of his six seasons with the Reds. He had uh, this crazy fastball um, and this uh, sort of high leg kick and this big sidearm delivery that caused him to uh, – fool everybody and he's just a fun guy fun guy to root for uh, evidently um and just dominated the national league scared everybody uh i was listening to a reds dodgers game during vince scully's last year in 2016 and just a random mid-september game against the reds vince scully starts talking about there's and i got a quote the quote i wrote the quote down um tried to put it in the book and didn't have room so um, but there was a remarkable pitcher years ago with the cincinnati reds named yule blackwell he was terrifying at times for a right-handed batter how do i know that Pee Wee Reese once told me about Yule Blackwell, and he said he's the only pitcher I ever saw who I feared. So if Pee Wee feared him, it was pretty terrifying. But anyway, Yule Blackwell is my choice, who a lot of Reds fans these days may not have heard of, but I think he would have been a fun guy to watch. Now, what about you, Jason Linden? Who's the one Reds player that played uh, before you were born that you would have liked to have seen? I'm thinking. I've got I've got several answers. I'll I'll talk my way into one here in just a second. I just need to take a minute and express surprise that your answer wasn't Wayne Krinchecki. Oh my gosh! I saw <laughs> Wayne Krinchecki play. Oh, you did! Oh my gosh! <laughs> 1983, my first. I got to tell it again. I've told it before. No, I got to no, tell it again no, while you're thinking. Way through. 1983, Johnny Bench's last season. By that time, he was just playing third base for the Reds. Uh, a little first base, but mostly just for third base, not, not catching anymore. And um, I'm telling you, I was so excited because all I'd heard about was Johnny Bench this and Johnny Bench that. And I probably should have said Bench is the guy I never saw play because I didn't get to see him play that day at my first uh, Major League game ever, little eight-year-old Chad Dotson. Um, because... I got in the stadium and looked up at the scoreboard, and they showed the starting lineup, and Wayne Krenchicki was playing third base. And I've never been 
sadder, more disappointed in my life. And I've never forgiven Wayne Krenchicki for this. The next day we had tickets to the game and, and everybody was with another family. Um, and everybody, my family and their family, all decided they wanted to go to Kings Island instead of going to the game. And so I threw a fit because I wanted to go watch Johnny Bench play. That's all I'd heard my whole life was Johnny Bench this and Johnny Bench that. So Wayne Krenchicki, you're dead to me. All right, now thanks for that, Jason. It's up to you here. Go ahead. So I kind of, I go your route to an extent where it's like I would kind of want to see the non-obvious player because I'm a contrarian by nature. Um, but, you know, I really might just have to go with um, with Frank Robinson, though. It's a great choice. It's because, boy, I mean, his number, you know, I don't think, I I think Frank Robinson is like, as much as everybody recognizes him as one of the greatest players to ever play baseball, I think he's still kind of a little bit underrated. Oh, yeah. Some like, he was, I mean, his numbers are just amazing. They're mind-boggling. I can't believe he's not considered like Hank Aaron and Willie Mays. Um, you know, he, no, that's what I mean. He should be. Like, he's in that category. And he just, you know, he's the one I use whenever I write these articles about his, how is Joey Votto going to age. I always look at Frank Robinson because as impossible as this is to believe when the Reds traded him to the Orioles when he was an old 30. Right. He, he then proceeded to be better for the Orioles than he was for the Reds. And, and think about it. He averaged 6.4 wins above replacement in his 10 years for the Reds and went on to get better. Yeah, this is this is what I'm saying. Um, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, he was an unbelievable player, well past what is supposed to be a baseball player's prime. Um, and you know, he had a, a, a three win season at age 39. He had a four win season at age 38. Like, man. Yeah. You don't see that. I would like to see him hit when he was like 27. Oh man. Right in the prime. Yeah. And he could do it all. He won a gold glove award. I mean, he had 63.8 wins above replacement just for the Reds. And that's a Hall of Fame career by itself, as uh, Steve Binkley It's Mike Trout. I mean, it is. No, it it absolutely is. And it really frustrates me that he's not considered. I mean, he's considered, he's a Hall of Famer, you know. But if if you ask 100 baseball fans, even knowledgeable baseball fans, but relatively knowledgeable, you know, uh, would any of them put him in the category with Hank Aaron and uh, and Willie Mays, who are his contemporaries? I don't think so. And, I mean, and God, like, let's just pause for a minute and talk about era. Because it was the 60s. Right. In 1962, because I'm staring at his numbers now because I pulled them up, he hit 39 home runs, and his slash line was 342, 421, 624 in 1962. <laughs> oh, God. Like, people weren't – hitters didn't do that in 1962. Like, that was still the era of the pitcher. Um, and that is just an absolutely remarkable – I mean, all of his numbers are just they're, – they're out of this world. We, we talk about alternate realities, and the alternate reality I love to think about is what if uh, the Reds hadn't been so stupid and dealt him away at age 30, and he had been a career Red. I mean, you t- he's the best player, and it's not even close – He'd be the best player in franchise history. Um, oh yeah, no, um, no question. 
I mean, we can argue about who that is now. He's um, in the conversation now anyway. Yeah, but. he's in the conversation. Yeah, just only, only in the 10 years he played. Oh, I wanted to answer him because of that because I do feel like he's the most underrated guy uh, around. But uh, I don't know. I tried to go for something that was not obvious, but that's not. I didn't want that to be a slight on Frank Robinson. Yeah. Uh, what a great player. Could probably still hit 280, I'd say. Yeah. So there's like that apocryphal old Ty Cobb story, right, where he's like, 52 and somebody asks him what he's hit now and says oh about 280 right. and then they say oh really you think pitching's got that much better he's like no i'm just 52 <laughs> right yeah and Ty T- Cobb probably could um let me circle back to yule blackwell for a second because this is something that did make the book and i just it's my favorite one of my favorite parts of the book uh we did a lot of research uh the book's the big 50 uh cincinnati red top the men and moments that made the cincinnati reds I mean, it's available for pre-order now on amazon and uh It'll be uh, released uh, in April of this year, right around opening day. But anyway, one of my favorite parts, we did a lot of research, and I kept coming across, when I was researching Yule Blackwell's chapter, I kept coming across different nicknames that everybody gave him. It was crazy. It was just, um, like, that was a, a one of the late 1940s, uh, the great delights of baseball was describing the way Yule Blackwell looked. I mean, the, the whip was his nickname because of the way he had this sidearm delivery. But uh, he was called Young Bones. And Skeleton, uh, the Associated Press said he was, quote, built like a vaulting pole. The Sporting News called him Cincinnati's Thin Man. The Cincinnati Enquirer called him a human windmill on a number of occasions. Um, one of the Reds' coaches, Hank Gowdy, said he was, quote, a great long strip of whalebone with the pitching motion of a tarantula and a sidearm sinker that could break your bat. He coiled up his right arm like a rattlesnake. Um, a couple of New York writers called him a fly rod with ears. And one said his, he looked like a Picasso impression of an octopus in labor. So I just <laughs> I had to mention that because we kept that's, running across these crazy descriptions. It was hilarious. That's my favorite right there. A Picasso impression of an octopus in labor. I, that's that's beautiful. That That's just fantastic. So that's why I wanted to, uh, to add him. Another good story about Yule Blackwell is he was pitching in like a semi pro league working for an aircraft factory out in California. And uh, playing in semi-pro league out there against some guys like Ted Williams was playing with him out there. Um, but uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers found him first, and they wanted to sign him. And they said, I will sign with you for whatever number you want to give me. Pay me for whatever you want. But the only way I'm going to sign is if I get an invitation to spring training. Now, after spring training, you send me where you think I need to go. I'm not demanding I be on the major league team, but I want an invitation to major league camp. And the Dodgers, they evidently, their scout phoned back and talked to Branch Rickey, and he said, uh, and Branch Rickey sent it up the pole, I think, to the owner. And they said, no, we don't want anybody on camp that's not going to make the team. And a couple weeks later, a Red Scout came along, and he made the same demand. I don't care where you send me afterwards. Send me to the minors if that's where I need to be. I want an invitation to spring camp, and you can pay me whatever you want. And the Reds were like, eh, we've been losing. Why not? And of course, he made the yeah. Reds out of spring training as an 18-year-old before he went off for the, to the war after the year afterwards. But uh, so anyway, um, Yule Blackwell. We've talked more about Yule Blackwell than I thought we would. Can I? Can I? While we're at it, though, because I like to look numbers up, just throw out a kind of crazy number. Yes, absolutely. So, all right, the the year that he apparently had the highest strikeout rate was 48. He struck out 7.4 batters per nine innings. Okay. Okay. This is roughly. I think it's actually almost exactly double the major league average strikeout rate for that era. Really? Which 
makes it equivalent in modern terms to a pitcher striking out like 17 batters per nine innings, and that's not hyperbole. <laughs> wow. So, of course he was terrifying. He must have been just, I mean, you know, it was apparently the, the, the equivalent of Araldus Chapman if he'd been allowed to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, literally, yeah. There, so we can kick it again if we want. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and you know, he he missed three years to the war. Um, yeah, and you wonder what that would have done to his uh, career numbers. But uh, just a fascinating guy in Reds history that maybe a lot of current day Reds fans don't really know a lot about. So, um, and that was the reason why I wanted to have him, give him a chapter in the book. It's because he, uh, he's sort of an under, uh, not not well known amongst current fans. So. Yule the Whip Blackwell, an octopus in labor. A Picasso impression of an octopus in labor. Let's go with one more uh, before we finish up. Let's go with one more best case, worst case scenario. And this is one from uh, that you did contribute, uh, I think, that you participated in. Um, but I think it's, I don't know, um, I think it's interesting because I love the guy. He's been on Red Lake Nation Radio a couple times. And it's Devin Mesoraco. What's the best case and worst case scenario for Devin Mesoraco? You want to go first or you want me to? I'll go first. It's sad, though. It makes me sad. Yeah. Um, worst case is he doesn't play at all. Best case is he maybe plays half the season, shares time with Tucker Barnhart, and hits okay. And that's what makes me sad. Yeah. Hey, this is a guy that was a, an all-star in 2014 and was like the next big thing. And he's never done anything otherwise. And his best case scenario... Before he even reaches the age of 30, is yeah. that he, you know, maybe if he's healthy. I think his best case scenario is he's healthy enough to start maybe 45% of the games, which yeah. which, which would be a pretty good platoon with Tucker Barnhart, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned. But that's what it's come to. A guy who had one of the 10 best single seasons for a catcher in Reds franchise history. That 2014, um, I think uh, the only two Reds catchers who have ever had a better season were Johnny Bench, who had like seven better seasons, and uh, Ernie Lombardi. Who was an MVP and a, and a Hall of Famer? Yeah, this this guy that had one of those best seasons ever is going to be relegated to a part time role before he reaches the age of thirty, and that just makes me oh, sad as can be. Just terrible luck for that guy. I no, I, I completely agree. But you know, I mean, baseball history is littered with those guys. It's true. Those guys who like you know, wow, look at what he could be. Look at what he might do. And then, you know, something happens. Bodies give out. Um, and, you know, a guy never recovers. And it's not, you know, I think that Mesoraco's body might be largely sound now in terms of the joint issues and stuff, but he's spent so much time not really playing, and, and, and the return curve is so steep. And, you know, he just got a little, what is it, a finger injury last year, right, that, that knocked him out? Yeah. Um, and just a fluke. So, it was yeah. A, wasn't it, I think it was his foot, actually, wasn't it? Was it? I think so. I sort of. Know. I thought I got hit by a pitch, right? Yeah, yeah. But either way, uh, just a fluke, and it's just bad luck. Oh, yeah. And so, I yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, his he probably has this like little hair of a like ninety nine point nine percentile where he returns to form fully, but that's so improbable at this point as to not even factor into a best case scenario type projection. And it really makes me worry about the the you know, in, in the long term. He's probably not going to be a red after this year. He's hopefully will be somewhere. But what's you know what what does his career have left for him? It's just 
it's a bummer. This is a guy that uh, I don't think he may ever thought he would be a Hall of Famer, but could have been a really solidly above average catcher for a lot of years for the yeah. Reds. I think, I mean, I think kind of the hope from everybody was effectively that he was like the Todd Frazier of catchers. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, good, really good player. Some, his highs were going to be really high. Yeah, yeah, a couple all-star teams you figured. And, right. And, you know, good solid years otherwise. And Yeah, and a guy you don't have to worry about. Keep him in the lineup and, you know, you're fine. Yeah, um, but it just didn't work out. Poor Devin. I'm going to give you a choice of the next one we're going to talk about, okay? All right. Best case, worst case scenario for Billy Hamilton. Best case, worst case scenario for the Cincinnati Reds, 2018 Cincinnati Reds. Or going completely in the opposite direction, who's the best defensive player you've ever seen in a Reds uniform? Which of those you want to go with? I want to do the last one. Because we agree, and I want to talk about how we agree. You know, I, I don't mind this either, because the guy that I picked, and I'll let you talk about him, but the guy that I picked was a guy that I really didn't like a whole lot when he was with the Reds. He was not one of my favorite players. Um, but anyway, go ahead. Pokey Reese. Pokey Reese! Pokey, no one, no one has, I've, I have never seen, you talk about Brandon Phillips all you want. And Brandon Phillips was a fabulous fielder. But he was not as good as Pokey Reese. He was not. At Pokey Reese's best. Brandon Phillips for sure. But boy, Pokey Reese just got to everything. And he was beautiful to watch in the field. He really was. And you know, when I, when I posed this question in our Daily Reds Obsession uh, segment, you know, I thought we'd hear Johnny Bench, who obviously maybe the greatest defensive catcher ever. I thought we'd hear Dave Concepcion, Barry Larkin. Um, you know, more recent guys like Brandon Phillips, Zach Cozart, Billy Hamilton. Um, yeah. even, you know, guys who were here just for a short time, Mike Cameron, Paul Yonish were, you know, really good defend- defensively, but I really don't think I'm like you. I don't think I've ever seen a peak defensive performance. He, yeah. he didn't have the longevity, but in a Reds uniform, 1999 Pokey Reese was the best of, I don't think I'll ever see a better defensive second base. And I watched all of Brandon Phillips career and I love Brandon Phillips defensively and I'm not criticizing him. Uh, you know, he won the gold glove that year. He won two straight gold gloves, 99 and 2000. And yeah, here's the way it looks to me. He had an OPS plus of 86. So well below average WRC plus 85. Yeah. And he was a 4.3 win wins above replacement 4.3 win player that year. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, uh, is the greatest defensive season in Reds franchise history by this uh, metric called fielding runs, and three point two defensive wins above replacement. I mean, just you know, and you want to talk about fun? I mean, to 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 go on a tangent just a little bit. Boy, that nineteen ninety nine team was fun. You remember that? Oh God! Oh yes, I do. I remember that. that. Was, I mean, that was that was the Mike Cameron year. Um, that was the Greg Vaughn year. Um, you know, that, that was the lightning in a bottle year and then the stupid brewers happened. Uh, yeah, no, it was a, it was a, it was a team that just came out of nowhere and man, that was, that was as fun. The Reds didn't make the playoffs, but it was as fun a season to be a Reds fan as any, cause they just came out of nowhere and they had some fun players. And, you know, guys like Pokey Reese, you still had Barry Larkin playing well and uh, Greg Vaughn, the crazy year. And, you know, just, a just a crazy fun season. I think maybe Pete Shurik was on that team. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, oh man. Yeah. I, I missed that team. That was Eddie Taubensy, I think was the catcher maybe mm-hmm. that time. 
Uh, actually, I'm going to look that up now because I want to reminisce about the 1999 Reds. The 1991 Reds were so much fun. Oh my! Hey, that was I. You know, I was in college that year while we're both clicking around and looking them up. And uh, I remember I don't know how it happened. I went to college in St. Louis, but somehow there was some booster station or whatever that made it so that you could pick up WLW. And I, toward the end of the year, I was like just driving. I could only get it in my car. Yeah. Like it was the only place I could get it. And I would get in my car and just drive around listening to Reds games at the end of the year because it was such an exciting team. And they were, you know, right on the cusp of making the playoffs. They won 96 games that year and didn't make the playoffs technically because they finished on a three-way tie with two other teams. <clears throat> but yeah, here's here's the starting lineup. We got so, Eddie. And, and I'm looking at that lineup, and it's just so many guys that I've got really sort of positive thoughts about. You know, in retrospect, yeah. Eddie Taubensy, Sean Casey, Pokey Reese, Barry Larkin, Aaron Boone. The one year he was really good. Yeah, great. Mike Cameron, even Michael Tucker. Remember Michael Tucker? <laughs> Michael Tucker, the old Royal and Brave. Yeah, who had and a pretty good year. Young hanging out there. Dimitri. Uh, Hal Morris came back. He'd been away, and he came yeah. back as sort of a utility guy. Um, Tobbins, he had 21 home runs. Yeah. Greg Vaughn had 45 oh. and 118 RBIs. That was the year they had Steve Avery. Steve Avery. Steve Avery. Oh, well, that and wasn't the, um And I was wrong. Shirk went on that team. The guy I was thinking about was Steve Paris. Steve Paris, you know, 3.5 ERA, 11-4. and four. Pete Steve Harnish, Harnish, 16 wins. Boy, no one has ever been as uh, deluded about a pitcher, by the way, as I was about young Brett Tomko. <laughs> Brett Tom, we loved Brett Tomko. Yeah, he never turned into. I was convinced he was going to be the next great thing, but you know, Denny Nagel. Oh yeah. man, and that bullpen. Listen, that was a bullpen. You know, Danny Graves was your closer, and that was one of the years that he was really good. But yeah. Scott Sullivan was an incredible setup man. Oh, this was the Scott Williamson Rookie of the Year year. It was, as a matter of fact, at Red yeah. Nation tomorrow morning. Uh, the same time that you've, you probably have already listened to this, actually. we got a post coming up about that 1999 Scott Williamson season, uh, just talking about whether Jesse Winker would win Rookie of the Year or Nick Senzel. It got one of our writers, John Ring, thinking about Scott Williamson. So, um, and Then there's there's Scott Sullivan, who is one of my all-time favorite unheralded Reds. Completely unheralded. Just an absolute workhorse with innings out of the bullpen. Um, yeah, boy, that was a fun year. Oh, and, and Gabe White. You remember Gabe White? I do remember Gabe White. Um, I remember everybody on this team really well, which tells you how engaged I was that year. Because there's always, you know, there are even sometimes guys, I feel like this year there was a, a a player I heard about who had been on the team last year, and I was like, who? <laughs> right. It was a pitcher, of course. But but still, I was like, wait, what? when? <laughs> on that team, 22-year-old Dennis Reyes, remember that guy? Yeah, best. I I'm telling you, I remember all these guys. Best nickname oh, in Reds Juan history, Guzman. though. They traded for Juan Guzman down the stretch. Remember That's that? Right, Juan Guzman. It's Stan yeah. Belinda on that team. Yeah. Um, but to oh, circle back to Dennis Reyes on that team. What's that? There were a lot of really good players yeah. on that team. But Dennis Reyes had the best nickname. You remember his? Do you remember his nickname? Big Sweat. Uh, Big Sweat. Oh, I remember that. That's that's good. Let me give you a Scott Sullivan stat. Since we're right. going down the hole here, second all time on the Reds all time list, second in games pitched for the Cincinnati Reds. Wow! Did you realize that? 
I did not realize that. I was bumbling around one day and found that and uh, blew my mind. Um, so you're right. Oh, the 1999 Reds. We could talk. We could have a whole podcast here's, about them. One more weird one because I just clicked on him and, I, and so I have to say it. Guess how many major league innings uh, Juan Guzman pitched after he left the Reds in 1999? Uh, he was only 32 that year. I don't know. Um, 400. 1.2. <laughs> I missed. I'm, I'm assuming. I don't remember what happened after he left. I'm assuming his arm fell off effectively. Must have. Yeah, but he pitched 1.2 innings. He started one game for the Rays and apparently came out in the second inning and never pitched again. Is that right? I don't remember that. He was great for the Reds in 99. He was fantastic down the stretch. and um, Wow. And, you know, he uh, traded for him. Yeah. Was B.J. Ryan, who pitched two innings with that Reds team, but he went on to be a, uh, make a couple all-star teams. Mm-hmm. Um. Wow, that's a fun team, and you know, it really never materialized. But you know, we got Junior Griffey after that, and we thought, "Oh, we're ready," and then it was awful. But at least yeah. Adam Dunn was good on those teams after that. He was Adam Dunn was very good. <laughs> that's right. All We've right, come circle. We've come full circle. That might be a good place to uh, to wrap it up. Any final thoughts about the current Reds, the 2018 Reds, or even back to 1999? Anything else you want to add, Jason? I like baseball. Baseball's fun. I'm really looking forward to it starting again because I do think the Reds are going to be interesting this year. Are they going to win? I don't know. I, I hope so. I think they'll win more than they won in 2017. I think there's every reason to believe that. Um, and so, you know, reason for optimism. This is Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number 190. If you have not subscribed yet, really would appreciate if you go subscribe. Anywhere you get your podcast, you'll find us. Uh, if you leave us a, a review at uh, iTunes or wherever you can uh, get your podcast, if they allow you to leave a review, leave us a review. Say something really nice about Jason Linden in the review. Um, but, uh, again, as I always say, if you like us, talk about us. Give us a review. Tell your friends. If you don't like us, why well, have you listened this far? And maybe you should just keep your mouth shut. We're at redlegnation.com every day talking about the Reds, even in the darkest hours of the off season. We're talking about the Cincinnati Reds at redlegnation.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at RedlegNation. Follow Jason at Jason Linden. Follow me at Dotson C. Um, I think that's everything I need to say about that. Jason, man, always fun, and this was another fun one. Always a pleasure, Chad. Always a pleasure. And at some point, we're going to file like a special podcast, just like a in between, just talking about those 1999 Reds. What do you think about that? I'm 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 here for that. All right, for Jason Linden, this is Chad Dotson saying. So long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.